Welcome, this is Oakwright's podcast number 15, In The Frame. This is the podcast where we try and answer any question that you may have regarding self-build or designing and building your dream home. Today my guest is Carlos Melga from Cook Brown Energy. We are going to be discussing the new additions to the Part L building regulations and Part O building regulations. If it was up to me, every single house being built would have MVHR. Are the new regulations going to affect the look and design of my house? Having an off-grid house which doesn't have to have any gas or electricity. The savings with compound interest work out that you can buy another house in about 25 years' time. We work with Cook Brown on building regulations on a regular basis. So welcome, Carlos. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Tim. Good to be here. Now, you may think, really, I am, uh, I'm working on building my dream uh, oak frame home. I've got my design in mind. and I know exactly what I want. Now, um, building regulations have changed. Part L is changing. Part O is changing. Today, we're going to discuss exactly what effects those building regulations may have on designing a bespoke one-off home. That, that's right, Tim. There's a new Partel, which was implemented on the 15th of June. Yes. And it's been a long time coming. We've been waiting since 2012 for the new uplift. Um, and the plans are to have another uplift um, in 2025. So this is only a stepping stone towards the future home standards. So I suppose what I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm going to put myself in, in the, the, the place of a self-builder. Um, I've decided to build my dream home. And uh, what I'm interested in is, are the building regulations going to affect the design of my home? Are the building regulations, the new building regulations going to make it more difficult to build my new home and are the new building regulations going to cost me more to build my new home so we can gently work our way through and I'll just uh, join in whenever and ask lots of questions that you might think well crikey that seems rather obvious but uh, I will try and put myself in in the position of uh, somebody who is just coming into the idea of building a house to try and help to break it down so the first question was design are the new building regulations going to affect the way that my architect can design my house? Absolutely. So with the new Part L, there's been a 31% uplift on the requirements for carbon emissions on a new property. So what that means is that the insulation, the building services, the renewable energy has to work together um, to be 31% better than it had to be before June. Um, so that won't actually affect the look of my house as such, that element, will it? But it, it will affect it, the uh, efficiency of the house. It may affect the look of your house slightly. Okay. So the walls will have to be slightly thicker with extra insulation, the yes. roofs, the floors, and some of the building techniques will have to change. Um, but no, effectively, we can. good architects can have a similar design to how they had okay. them before. Fine. So that's all. So in some ways we can move on in the detail of that, can't we, as we go through? Yeah, so some of this is um, gearing people towards electric heating, hot water systems, yeah. ventilation, air conditioning. So we're looking at introducing um, air source heat pumps and ground source heat pumps a lot yes. more. They're much more efficient these days um, yes. because of the grid-supplied electricity. So part of the new uplift introduces the new SAP-10 um, for domestic properties and what that looks at is changing the carbon factors. Let's just explain what is a SAP. 
A SAP is a standardised assessment procedure. So the government um, created a process, a methodology for testing the properties, uh, new properties, on construction properties, to um, make sure that they comply with energy efficiency, with sustainability, with um, carbon emissions and fabric. Okay. To do that, there's a set of rules that everyone has to follow. Yes. So there's a benchmark across the board so that when you're comparing one property against another one, it's realistic and we can see if one of them's better than the other. Okay. This relates to the EPC. So we can't carry out an EPC for a new build unless... EPC? Energy Performance Certificate. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, where it has A to F ratings, green yes. to red. And we can't carry one of these out on a new build or on a change of use, i.e. a conversion, unless we've done a SAP calculation first. Okay. The SAP calculation allows building regulations compliance, shows planning, shows building control, whether you've met certain requirements of insulation, of energy efficiency, of glazing, etc. And part of this um, calculation is the carbon emissions. To calculate the carbon emissions, we need to know how carbon intensive the electricity is before it gets to your property. In 2012, it was quite carbon intensive. Now it's reduced to half of what it was because so why of, is that? Because of the renewable energy that's on oh, okay. the market. So um, instead of using gas or some other fossil fuel to create the electricity in the first place, yes. We're now using solar farms, wind okay. turbine farms, offshore wind turbine, and other types of renewable energy. So companies like Scottish Power can claim that they're 100% green, okay. which they are well, because they buy the energy from these renewable sources. Yeah, that's, well, that's very good. Now, that, so, my, so my first question was, is it going to affect the design of my house? And to, a, to an extent, and I'm just thinking towards Oakrites and, and what we do, we tend to build very um, super insulated panel systems already. We've been building the passive house um, standards. So really going forwards on our panel systems, it won't really change anything that we're doing within our, within our design process there. The Correct. one point, I suppose, might be the amount of glazing. We do occasionally get houses with lots of glazing, letting lots of light into the house. Are we still going to be able to do that? What is the process? What are we maybe going to have to do different on that front? Okay, yes. And um, your insulation and your um, fabric heat loss on your constructions are far below the building regulations of 2012, and they remain below the new building regulations of this year. Yes. So yes, that's good. From the glazing perspective, um, historically, the more glazing to the south and less glazing to the north of the building, the better the Was building good. performs. Yes. Yeah. Because I the heat gain through the north windows um, is lower and the heat loss is also lower because it's a smaller window. Yes. Whereas on the southern windows, you're gonna have higher heat gains. So that was good in the past, but now? But now, um, with the introduction of the new Part O yes. legislation, which works in tandem with Part L. So Part O is looking at? Mitigating overheating within dwellings. Okay, right, yes. So back to glazing. We're... So part of the new Part O is if you want to uh, build a new house, your windows have to be 25% um or less of the floor size of that room. Not of the whole building, of that room. Of each room, okay. Um, unless you're in London, in which case those figures are a lot lower. I suppose in relative of the buildings that we build, normally are always out in the, 
out in the countryside, so probably not going to have the, the metropolitan effect on, on, on our designs. But um, Plus, you've got three-floor ventilation in all your properties. Yes. Um, you've got loads of facials and soffits, overshadowing. So even if um, you decided, actually, I want to make this property future-proof for 2050, where the temperature might be as high as two degrees more. Okay, yes. And these properties, won't, we won't be able to live in them. They'll be too hot, which is a reality. I want to have a overheating calculation done on the property. So within Parto, if you don't meet the requirements, you can still go down the overheating route. SIBSI, the Chartered Institute of Building Services Engineers, brought out a technical memorandum back in 2017, yes. which is called um, Technical Memorandum 59, TM59. That covers overheating for dwellings. And what we do is we have a look at a dynamic simulation model. We create a 3D model of the property or the block. And we look at the sun cast, we look at the weather, the future weather, the current weather. And um, so we have to have predictive weather files put in as well. And we can actually adjust everything. So we can have larger than 25% windows. Yes. We can have more openings, less openings. We can work out the exact um, science behind whether the property is going to overheat and how to change that. And we could, as you say, future-proof the house in design now, almost looking forward to 2050, which, while it sounds like a long time away, it's not actually that far away, is it, it's really? It's not at all. But for houses that we are going to be building, where we are anticipating that they will stand for two, three, four hundred years, I think trying to think of something that's sort of less than 30 years away is probably a good idea if we can you know, future-proof our houses for that for that time and, and if things do heat slightly we want the houses to be comfortable to live in absolutely um so so yeah the the solution is if you can't get away with the simplified method which is using the postcodes and the um criterion in in parto things like three flow yeah. ventilation percentage of glazing etc um if you can't get past that, then there's a flexible approach where we're going to get you past by making a few adjustments. Let's have a few more opening windows. Let's make the, the solar gains on the windows less. Let's have more overshading, that kind of thing. So this would be having a thermal calculation carried out for the house, is that correct? Or what, what did you no, describe it's, it's, it's a, What is it called? It's, a, it's more of an overheating calculation. So it's a dynamic simulation model. Dynamic simulation, okay, it's yes. It's different to the Part L compliance, so we need to create a model for that, yes. for energy efficiency. And then the Part O one uses the U-values and all the same information that goes into SAP yes. to calculate the overheating. So this is through the simulation? Through the dynamic simulation. Dynamic simulation, model. okay. Yes. So, and, and what will the cost of that be around about, you know, just it's approximately at the moment? Approximately triple the price for SAP. So if you're paying £150 for a simple... SAP calculation, um, it's going to be between 450 and 700 pounds for the overheating calculation. And then would that be plus the SAP on top of that? I'm afraid so. They're two completely different types of software, two completely type of training um, assessors and qualifications. I understand. So if we're looking forwards again, again looking forward to future-proofing our house going forwards for uh, 2050, Let's just say we're going to spend an extra £700 looking at the top end yep. on a calculation, on a dynamic calculation for the um, overheating efficiency of our, of our home. It doesn't seem like a great spend, really. I know it's when we're building and every penny counts, but if you, if you do the, 
the detailed calculation, you can work with the design that you've got exactly and see exactly what is coming out rather than working off the, the scale of charts almost all the, all, all, the, all the set elements within the, the simplified version. Exactly. And I had a client recently, um, a self-builder, who was building a beautiful property. So their architects um, were ready to go for the planning application. And they didn't need to have an overheating calculation, but they knew that they were going to live there for the rest of their lives. So they decided they wanted one. Yes. One of the things that we managed to find out was that the uh, kitchen diner was overheating. Okay. So what we did was we made um, the roof light, which was part of the kitchen diner already designed in there, openable. Yes. Suddenly that mitigated the overheating. So you could open the roof light to let the heat out. If it was like, yeah. Exactly. And such a simple solution, so cheap, but it's going to make a huge difference to that zone, that kitchen diner yes. for the future. And so those people are going to be living in a, it's going to improve their well-being living in there in the future. Okay. So going back to the glazing then, I would imagine, because a lot of our houses do have quite large glazed areas, one of the things we're going to have to think about would be possibly do we go for, I think it's like, it was argon fill in most double glaze. You could go for krypton, I think is a, another gas. You could go for triple glazing and um, and we can go for the solar, solar glass as well, can't we? So, Yeah, technology for glass has improved a lot over the last 60 years. Um, the advances that were through 10, 15 years ago are now coming to market. So uh, Sangoban is ahead yes. of the curve. They've got glass, which um, uses electricity to make it a different opaqueness and translucence during different parts of the day. So in the morning and the evening, you want the solar games, yeah. but at lunchtime, you don't. No. So you, you can press the button and it, and it sort of gives that opaque look on the glass. Uh, that, I think that's a different yeah. technology. This is more of a, an automatic system. Oh, right. So it just happens within the light of the day or the heat exactly or whatever. Exactly right. Okay, well, that's good, isn't it? So there's no power as... Is, there, is the power to the glass or no power? Yeah, I there believe... Is, there's a I small mean, current. I won't um, talk about things I don't know the technology no, 100% okay. for. So the but technical there is technology specifications... Yeah, something they're doing to help. Yeah, I don't want to hit and miss on that information, but... Um, there are cheaper options as well. So you can have different films put on them, yes. uh, which improve the solar gains if you need extra energy efficiency, reduce the solar gains. Um, yes, there's uh, xenon and krypton and argon types yeah. of gases, <laughs> which work well with both double and triple glazing. But the three things to think about with the glazing are, it's not just the glass, but it's also the frame. Yes. So we need the whole unit U-value. It's of not just that through the centre of a glass correct. pane. It's, the actual aperture. You're getting reality, aren't you? The whole, the whole build-up of the, of the window. That's right. Um, the second thing is we've got the uh, G-value, which is the solar gains value. Yeah. And then you've also got the light transmittance. Right, so we yes. need to make sure that all of these are in balance to make sure there's no overheating, but the well-being of the people is So no overheating, but enough light coming into the house to give it a nice, comfortable feeling. And not enough heat leaving the house to make it cold. Yeah, okay. Have to think about the glazing more carefully. Yes. We know our heating system is probably going to be an air source heat pump going for... Some sort of heat pump. Yes. Air source heat pump. Or ground source could be, but... Air to air, which has a... Uh, third system that allows you to heat the water as well is very good there's okay. at least one company i can think of in the uk that does that yes um ground source heat pumps are good for the winter yes because the temperature of the ground below a meter a meter and a half is a constant yes. eight to ten degrees regardless of the time of year 
Okay. So you're not having to do that extra work to heat up the hot water in the winter that you have to with SLC pumps, which makes it less efficient. So another thing going forwards, we've got the, um, so we've got the windows, got the heating, then we've got the panel system, the U value of the panel system, um, the psi values of how all the connections work on the panel system need Would to all like go to talk about side values that might be a good idea because it is a con you know it is it does need to be considered it, you know you need to consider it up front don't you one of the new stipulations in the new part l says that the um, approved construction details are no longer allowable now let me explain what an approved construction detail is what a thermal bridge is and what a side value is yes it's all part of the same thing the constructive detail is the CAD drawing that goes on the architectural plans. The thermal bridge is the actual bridge where there's an insulation break in the corner um, or a junction. So imagine the wall to ceiling, the insulation's at the ceiling, the bridge will be in that corner. Yeah. Or the ground to wall or some of the eaves, ridge, um, around the windows, the jams, the lintels and the window boards are all thermal bridges. Okay. So what that means is that there's heat loss through those bridges, which is calculated separately to the, the overall wall and the U-value. Um, so how, it, how we calculate it is um, using the Greek letter psi. Yes. It looks like a trident. Yes. And it's called a psi value. And what that allows us to do is do a heat loss calculation, either 2D or 3D, depending on the junction of what the heat loss is in both of those parts combined using yeah. all the U-value information. And then that goes into the SAP standardized assessment procedure um, software. And then that calculates what the heat loss is through the junctions. Now, I did an exercise on a property. We had specify Knauf, uh, dry, um, dry therm 32. Okay. Which is a- So what exactly? So it's blown fiber. Blown fiber, so okay. So they blow it into a new build cavity. Right, yes. And it gets every single crevice, etc. The dry therm um, Knauf product has enhanced thermal bridging calculations done on most of the two-dimensional junctions. Right. So um, by putting those figures into the calculation, it had one result. I then took those figures out and had the default figures. So if you don't have yeah. any constructive details, we have no choice but to have a default factor, which is 0 0.15, very high. Um, and the difference in the fabric energy efficiency, so that's the heat loss, not the overall yes. energy efficiency, was 27%. Was it? Now, you imagine the cost savings on 27% insulation throughout the build, the extra floor space that you're going to have. Yeah. Just by making sure that you're using a manufacturer that's got the side value calculations already done, by investing in the site calculations yourself, yes. or by coming to a company like Oatrights, who has an in-house site calculation um, member Ability. of staff, yes. then you're getting a much, much better designs property, much okay. more functional, less of a performance gap as well. And the great thing I think with this, uh, with you know, off-site manufacture, building of the panel systems in the workshops and building of as large a panel as possible means we're getting less junctions. So we're getting less of those of those joins to where we need to work out the calculation. And and so that is, and also the wrap of the insulation where you get the, we bring our floors in, we do not penetrate the floor or, or the floor 
does not sit on the ground floor walls. It sits onto a, a ledger inside the wall, so you're not getting that, that penetration through for any cold bridging. And then our roof meets uh, our, our wall, and we have the insulation wrapping around completely and taped together then like a tea cosy. So try keeping the house as... Um, making the house energy efficient, reducing the cold bridging. But the one thing that has changed within the, the building regulations, as I understand, is the, the air tightness test that we're going to go for now is more stringent than it had been, but possibly not as stringent as it was proposed originally. Is that correct? Let me address the comment you made about the wall with the insulation line running all the way through it. Yes. And then the joint on the outside of that insulation, or on the inside of that insulation. Yes. The advantage of that, and it's becoming more common, but this building technique is probably only about 20% of the clients, of the SAP calculations we do have this. Right, okay. So it's a big advantage to have this. Yes. And the advantage is the insulation line is continuous. Yes. So the side value is phenomenal. Okay. It's Good. almost not a thermal bridge. Good. So we've got something right. Improving things. <laughs> and because we're comparing that junction yes. against default, which is for the notional. Okay, right, yes. Your um, results are going to be inflated, That's which good. is great news. Positive. Yeah, so Very your carbon positive. emissions are better, your compliance is better. If you want zero carbon, you're that much closer. Yes. And I said the actual thing around it as well is not just the meeting the regulations, it is actually physically better. It actually works exactly better. Right. You've got, you, you know, you're trying to make that. Uh, airtight when you've got your f your first floor sitting on top of your ground floor it must be a nightmare whereas what we so we don't really have to think about that area too much because if a floor is not going through the wall it's sitting on the on the ledger so that helps and yeah. then going on from that so the structure so structure goes up windows we either build into the panels in the workshop some windows we put in on site we're taping them we're sealing them but then we go forward to the the one thing we've always found with, we've built a passive house. I love passive housing. We try and gain a good air tightness test on, on, on all of our houses. There's a couple of points there. We want to get the very best air tightness test, but also with the way the heating systems, the radiant heating systems work in the UK, really for us to, if we really want to drive the air tightness test down, we need a heat recovery and ventilation system. Heat recovery and ventilation is a big piece of the puzzle. And for a mechanical ventilation with heat recovery to be most efficient, we really start seeing differences in the results once the air permeability, the air tightness, is below three. Okay. So if you can get those figures down to passive house standards, yes. 0 0.6, 0 0.9, maybe even 0 0.2, depending on the standard you want to go to, um, the MVHR is going to work really, really well. And you might not even need to turn the heating on on the building. Okay. So let's just, because I think a lot of people don't still understand what MVHR is. Should we explain what that is? Explain how that's different to a, a normal heating system or ventilation system. And what are the options? If we run okay. through, what are the options there? What is okay? What is reasonable? And what is good? So I'll talk about um, the new uplift on Part F, which works very closely with part L and part F looks at ventilation. So the ventilation types, there's in domestic properties, there's four common ones. Yeah. Um, 
system one to four. System one is intermittent extract ventilation. In my house, I turn on the bathroom, the fan comes on, the light in the bathroom, the fan comes on. I turn off the light in the bathroom. If the humidity in that room is below a certain amount, the fan goes off. Okay. Very simple. Does what it's what it's supposed to do. The second one is passive stack ventilation. So you've got a, a pitched roof, you've got a long tube going into the bathroom through the loft. As the wind blows past the roof, it sucks and extracts the air out of the house. Okay. So it's passive. There's no electricity involved. Yes. It's not that common. Um, not that common. Not that common. Okay. Passive house standards tend to look at it, but then yes. end up going for MVHR or something instead. Okay. Then we've got um, MEV, uh, which is continuous extract. So there's a machine in the loft, which is continually on a, a low decibel, low rate, extracting uh, air from the house. And a lot of... So where would that extract the air from exactly? So that, that's that normally be the dust. bath, the wet rooms. The wet rooms, okay. The wet rooms. So bathrooms, bathrooms utility kitchens, room, utility kitchen, rooms, yeah, downstairs yeah. toilets. Okay. So it's extracting all, all the air. And um, a lot of large-scale developers use this. Right. However, um, if you're using this, you have to have, the legislation shows, you have to have an air permeability, air tightness, um, of five or higher. So the higher, the worse it is. So that's an interesting one. You have to have an air tightness of five or higher. Now, I find, because people always say, when we talk about an airtight house, people say, I, I don't want an airtight house. I'll just open my windows, which is fine in the summer. And even with a completely airtight house, yes, in the summer when it's warm, you open your windows. That's great. You get fresh air blowing in. But, you know, in this country, even with the warming climate, probably you go beyond September, October to April, mostly the windows are closed, aren't they? The windows are closed, doors are closed. So you go in. So unless you've got fresh air in some way being pushed into the house, you are just sitting in a sort of a, a stale air box in a way, aren't you? Exactly and, right. But then you are saying, well, okay, to make that work, we have an air tightness over five. So where is that air leaking out? Is it because it's not controlled extraction, is it? It's just uncontrolled drafts which could be poor junctions on your roof to walls poor junctions on the corner of your panels it could be uh going disappearing out through your floor that's sitting on top of your ground floor which is uncontrolled draft and then that is going to that warm air is going to condensate somewhere inside your wall structure and when it condensates there's a potential for mold to grow, and I think is my thinking here. And therefore, you've got this mold growing inside the uncontrolled draft areas of your house somewhere. And then we wonder why our children have got asthma. Thermal bridging. Or am, I, am I being too dramatic? Thermal bridging or lack of good thermal bridging is a bigger contributor to the mold growth. Okay. Because um, the condensation happens when Warm there's... Warm, meeting cold. Exactly. Yeah. The air permeability, if you've got an air permeability of five or higher, there's a higher infiltration. Theoretically, there's more air circulation. Now, with MEV, System 3, yes. full house, whole house extract, it's worse than what you say. Is it's it? not drafts, it's being pulled. So you're actually pulling in the air through the cracks, through the spotlights in your suspended yes, ceilings, okay. through the plumbing area, etc. Um, so so yeah, pulling in cold air? Pulling in cold air from outside. And if we just say, where are we at this present moment in time? 
heating prices going through the roof. Yeah. So you're going to, so you're pulling in cold air up against your warm air, which you're paying to heat up with yeah. your heating system. And then, so if you want your room at an ambient temperature of, what would you say? 24. 20, let's say 2024, 20, your heating system is going to have to work harder, therefore cost you more to run, to meet this regulation where you can't be below five. Exactly. Air, air permeability, I can't stress the importance of it enough. An airtight property is fundamental. So going back to the MEV, yes. the government said by law it has to be five or higher otherwise the people inside are going to suffocate because there's a vacuum yes <laughs> now the answer is if it's below a five we put trickle vents in the windows we put an additional ventilation strategy in okay. place and some of them can can work you know you can close the vents and things like this but i prefer mechanically ventilated heat recovery but if we talk go back to trickle vents which number one most people don't like the look of trickle vents but then if you have trickle vents and you're using them in the winter when you're shut up in your house uh, and you've got your heating system on and then you need that ventilation so you're pulling air in you need to be able to vent you're open your trickle and again you're letting the heat of the house out or you're letting cold air in to cool down the warm air in the house. Yeah. Because you need to have it ventilated for health, yeah. but you are spending a lot of money or money on your heating to enable you, enable you to have the draft that is healthy, yeah. but then the draft is cooling the house down, which you are paying good money to heat up. So that's the, that's the, and the other, so what is the best way? Or what would we say so, would be the ideal way? If it was up to me, every single house being built would have MVHR. And, and that is, let's just explain what that is. So a MVHR is a box with pipes coming in and going out. And where the pipe, inside the box, there's a heat exchange unit. Yes. So the fresh air crosses over, hermetically sealed, of course, um, the hot air. As the hot air is being extracted out of the house, it's heating the fresh cold air that's coming into the house. So what you've got in effect is some of the job of the heating to bring that um, five or six degree temperature from outside up to 10 to 15 degrees temperature inside, which is the heat exchange efficiency. Um, what that does is it doesn't have to use your heating system to heat that up. And it's very cheap and very effective once it's installed. Yes. So we've got a specific fan power. So it's um, the watts per liter per second. Yes. And we've got the efficiency, so how well it heats up. And those are the two factors um, that we look at in MVHR. But the advantage of that, of course, is that you can have the air permeability as low as you can. So the more airtight the house, the more energy efficient, the more efficient the unit runs. Yeah. And then, but what you are getting is controlled fresh air blown into your living spaces. Yeah. So we're sitting here and our sitting room is being blown into the sitting room, blown into the dining room, blown into the bedrooms. But we are then extracting the stale air and, and, and warm air out of the house through a heat exchanger exactly. within, the, within the unit, which is then warming up the fresh air, which has been drawn from the other side of the house. Um, and being blowing sort of uh, fresh 
conditioned air in, in, in into the house through a, um, a filter as well. So again, you can clean out any any of the nasties that are out of the atmosphere with it through by coming through the filters. So some of the new legislation for Part F looks at uh, germicidal filters, UV filters, HEPA filters within office blocks. Yes. So this is coming. It's going to happen for um, everything eventually, and this will avoid COVID and other pathogens. The trend is that manufacturers start it off so the legislation changes it yes suddenly we've got to have filters um suddenly we've got to have the flow rate to be higher okay etc and so then the manufacturers say okay well we can't sell any of those anymore so we have to build these yes and so it passes on that way so not only are the architects and designers considering it but the manufacturers are so it's if they're doing this already for the office blocks it's going to roll out to everything eventually. Yes, okay. So, and then the considerations, I suppose, to think if we're, we're in the sort of the self-build industry, most people are looking to build their, their dream home. They're looking to build as well as they possibly can. So, so we do find that we are in, working with people installing MVHR systems. Into the architectural and design side, I suppose the considerations that we need to think of um, with that is what's the depth of the floor? So we need space within the floor to get the ducts in yep. because as I understand it, the best ducts are the solid ducts. Mm, I don't like to say best. What I will tell you though is that part, some of the new Part F okay. shows, and unfortunately with all of these approved documents, it's kind of vague and fluffy terminology. So right. <laughs> um, the emphasis is on making every attempt to make all the duct work rigid. Okay, yes. The advantage of rigid ductwork is that you have nice straight lines, so the specific fan power is more likely to be what it's supposed to be. Yes, okay. Now, don't just think, oh, that's okay, it's behind the scenes, no one's going to know, because we are doing parterre fan testing on every property now. Yes. Years ago, it was kind of wavy, whether it was being done or whatever, but yeah. now all the building controls across the country know that they have to have the vent testing done so if we do that at the same time as the air testing it's a lot cheaper because we only have to do one visit yes so in the design back to the design stage and we need to think where's the unit going to be placed because you want the ducts I understand, as short as possible exactly so the ducts need to be as short as possible the mvhr has to have access yes so don't plaster for maintenance in. absolutely well i know here we changed the filters about well i think we change about once every six months here just for good measure once every six months in london once yes. every year in the rest of the country is okay. is the convention. Doesn't take long to do. No, but just you know, it's it's just a, a chore for maintenance of a of the house and, and you know, for the well being of the house, well being of everybody living in the house. And it should be in the building logbook how yes. to do it. Okay, and um, so then the other thing we have to think is which direction the floor joists are going, how our ducts are going to lay. So as we're designing the house, we really need to be thinking about that, not as an afterthought that, oh, I'd like to fit, fit MVHR. Straight away, are we going to be designing MVHR into this house? If we are, where's the unit going to go? What's the access to the unit? What if a duct runs? And what direction floor joists going to make it as easy as possible? So there's a lot of things in it, it's almost like a, an all-encompassing design, isn't it? Not just a design of elements. I've designed the house, now make elements A, B, and C work. You've got to be thinking of all these different things, the glazing, the wall build-ups, roof build-ups, the uh, MBHR in with the whole design. While you're architecturally designing a beautiful house, you've got to be thinking of the technical side as well. 
design is paramount and there's so much to consider now. We've got all the building regs to worry about. And then with the energy and sustainability side of it, we've now got three main documents that unfortunately they have bits that contradict each other. So it's like having a balloon and you squeeze one of the bubbles out and another bubble pops out somewhere else because you squeezed it out. Yes. So it's, you know, working that out correctly with the correct specialist. Going back to the um, MVHR and the ducting, you mentioned there about the rigid ducting, yes. planning it correctly. What we want to avoid is um, non-rigid ducting, yes. which curves all around the walls, you know, on a Friday afternoon, the builders are putting in the MVHR ducting before they put the plasterboard up and, you know, uh, let's let's go to the pub. Right, we'll just whack that in as quick as possible. We won't bother about the internal insulation, which is quite common, and we'll go to the pub. Yeah. But what they don't care about whether there are holes in it, whether it goes in all sorts of different corners. They just want to get job done. With rigid ducting, it takes that away. So the advantage is the specific fan power is going yes. to be much improved. Okay, that's interesting. And then I said, once you've got that, then the more to make that uh, system as efficient as possible, then we can drive the air tightness of the building down as low as possible. So the lower we can drive it, the better. Exactly. And that's the that's the question. Now we have found with oak framing on the passive houses that we built, that's where the hard work comes, and that's where the challenge comes in. And but I think more air. The more airtight houses are with the MBHR, the better living conditions, more efficient, the more economical those houses will be will be to run. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Well very interesting. So going on then and then back to the overheating, I was just thinking about the, the actual a lot of the houses we build, we've got quite big roof structures and we have rooms in the roof. And what we find there is that um Sometimes you, you you will get you know, that those rooms in a roof will heat up. Mostly people don't notice because they've got a flat ceiling upstairs. But if they pop their pop their loft hatch up on a sunny day, it is hot. Yeah. But with an oak framed house, tending to be where you're living within roof space because the oak frame is the most beautiful part of an oak frame, or one of the most beautiful parts. Um, you are up in that roof space, so therefore, within the part O the um, overheating what we find is we have our one system where we are 30 kilo kilograms a cubic meter of density we've got an, another system which is 70 kilograms a cubic meter of density same u value so keep us as warm in the winter as each other but on the cooling in the summer because of the decrement delay on the 30 kilogram we are we have about a three and a half hour decrement delay which means the sun, after three and a half hours of rising, is penetrating through the roof surface. On the other system, the cellulose system, 11-hour decrement, 10 to 11-hour decrement delay. We, we are there gaining, um, the sun is penetrating after 10 to 11 hours. So rising at nine, by mid-afternoon, day is cooling, breaks down the, the, the peaks and troughs of the rise and fall of heat within the house. But is that taken into consideration in Part O, or where, or is there a consideration for that? It is taken into consideration in Part O. It's not a big consideration, as much of a consideration as windows. Right, okay. As openings, as the difference between windows and openings is one of yes. them can open, obviously. As solar shading. But, you know, just like a hot water cylinder heat loss is taken into consideration, so yes. is the thermal mass. So the thermal mass of the product is taken more into consideration in Part L. Okay. 
So those energy consultants, energy assessors who do the job to a high level of detail will calculate the exact thermal mass um, of the property yeah. by figuring out the density of each building material, the kappa values of each material, plugging them into the U-value calculations and putting them into the rest of the, the energy calculation. Um, so yes, if a product is capable of absorbing more heat in the summer, the room's going to be cooler. Yes. When it becomes nighttime, or like we're seeing a lot, one week really hot, one week really cold, um, when there's that change, all that heat is going to get released back into the room. Okay. Okay, so that's good. Now, um, so we've talked about windows, we've talked about uh, heating, we've talked about ventilation, we've talked about the structure, we've talked about air tightness. Um, is there anything else that has changed within the new regs that we need to consider? Oh, yes. This is going to oh, fascinate crikey. you. Here we go. <laughs> Every single dwelling must now have wastewater heat recovery. Wastewater heat recovery. Oh, it's a beautiful okay. system. I love this stuff. Okay. <laughs> and it's so cheap. <laughs> right. Okay. What have we got? For new builds. Yes. It's very cheap and effective because you're doing the plumbing anyway. Yes. So you can just install it at the same time as your waste pipes in your and shower. How does this work then? So what happens here then? So before I explain that, I just want to go back and explain that if you do not have or do not design wastewater heat recovery, it's not the end of the world. SAP has a flexible approach so you can trade that few percent but efficiency against something it's else it's going to be better i would think is that correct yeah and we've been designing them in where it hasn't been mandatory before okay and you know it improves the results therefore yes. they didn't need as much insulation and it does seem that you know when you turn your you, you let your you open your sink and your hot water goes away you're having a shower and that's all just but if you could re recover some of that heat that would be a good idea so the best system i've seen has a um Sewage pipe coming out. Yes. Drainage pipe. And it's a double skinned pipe. Yes. Copper piping. Right. So it's all plumber compliance. They've got all the, they've gone through all of the, the kite marks and health and safety, etc. Yes. So the hot water leaves the shower at about forty five degrees. You know, if it comes out of the shower at sixty one by the time you've yeah. washed somewhere around forty five degrees, goes down the drain, use a centrifugal force to st stick to the edges of the drain. Um the Cold water comes in through a hermetically sealed outer layer. Yes. Um, as the cold water passes, the hot water coming out, it's preheating to around about 15 degrees. Okay. So suddenly the electric shower or the boiler or the cylinder doesn't have to do that first no. bit of heating. Taking the edge off it is already the edge of the coldness has already been taken off by the warm air, by the warm water that's been flushed out of the house. So it's heat exchange, just yes. like the MVHR. It's free. It's free, but it probably costs more to install initially. But exactly. I suppose if we're looking back to our life expectancy of a house, if we're thinking two to 300 years, but we are spending the money now and things are, you know, inflation is growing at the moment. So it is, it is a hard choice to make. But even if we're looking just to future-proofing our houses to 2050, the actual cost is minimal, really, against the future-proofing of the house and, and against the energy consumption of the house going forwards, so the cost of running that house going forwards. So the more stringent we can be, the better 
technology we can build in that doesn't cost a lot to run or doesn't cost a lot to maintain now is going to be good for the future of the house. And I suppose on my part, I would say things like the windows, whatever they are, whatever you do, the very best window, it's inert in a way. You don't have to do anything with it, do you? It's in, it goes. Passive energy efficiency. Yes. The, and that's where I would go for the insulation, the breathable wall system, the dense wall system. You put it in now, you don't need to do anything. It's in, it's done. That's another inert way. It's, it's passive, isn't it? You're not having to do anything. Where the fabric first approach yeah. is the best. Air tightness. If you get the air tightness right straight up front, you don't have to do anything. It's going to make the house more efficient going forwards. Um, I suppose the one thing in amongst uh, is going to be the heating system is an air source that will take some maintenance. The heat recovering ventilation will take some maintenance and does take some energy to run, doesn't it? Yeah. But if you've got that fabric absolutely airtight, you've got the right insulation within the fabric, the right windows and door sets going into the fabric of the house, then it's going to cost less on those elements that do cost to run, to run them. Exactly. So we're reducing the heating demands or in buildings with air conditioning, the cooling demand yes. as well, which is just as important. Air conditioning is expensive um, to reduce the energy bills. And that's the nuts and bolts of it, really. And with the wastewater heat recovery, that 700, 900 pounds that it costs to install on a new build um, is going to pay itself off very, very quickly within a year or two. Yes. So you're making profit after that. That's, yes, that's got cutting costs. So that's good. Um, and, 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 and the other part, as I understand, is there'll need to be photographic evidence. Is that correct? Of the construction. Absolutely. So if you don't have a professional clerk of works on your build project, um, make sure the builder, the architect, surveyor, the developer takes photos of everything as they go. So we need photographic evidence of the thermal bridge injunctions, unless you're happy to use default, which is a disaster. Yeah. Um, we need photographic. So actually, as they're being installed, so we can see that they follow the constructive detail. Yes. Now, we don't know yet how strict they're going to be. We don't know... Um, because Pyle is vague. Yes. The people who audit us also get audited. So it's going to take a while for us all to catch up. Yes. So I'm telling people, I'm advising one thermal bridge type of junction per property. So rather than every single corner, no, one corner of that type. So one floor to wall yes. junction, one wall to rafter junction, you know, the intermediate junctions, everything else. Um, but we also need... Proof that the walls have been insulated properly. Well, that comes back to being built off-site. Yeah. Um, and we try and build the panel systems as large as possible. But our, our constricting factor is access onto site. A lot of our projects are one-off houses down tiny little lanes. Very awkward to get to. So that restricts the size of our panel. But reducing the amount of panels. For instance, if we're building a dormer window, we construct the whole dormer window onto the panel in the workshop where it can be taped, membraned, sealed, insulated, and it's all there in the workshop. It can be checked, quality checked, easy in a workshop environment, which does make it easier. So when they're going on, on, the, on, the, on, on the lorries, we know they're actually built correctly. And the only thing we have to really worry about then is how it connects, how the corners connect on site. We're not, we're not worrying about how is the panel built on site because it's, it's built off site. 
you can photograph off-site the junctions, yes. constructed details. You can photograph off-site the dormer um, faces, the yes. leafs, as they're being built. So we, we need to know the insulation type, yes. the insulation depth, and that that relates to that property. So okay. it's all about labelling out properly and yes. plenty more photographs than less. So um, Cook Brown Energy is yes. part of the Hickton Group who has um, Hickton Clerk of Works, Hickton Qualitas, etc. So if you need some advice to do the job yourselves, yes. to what photographs you need to take, by all means you can contact us through that, or we can do it for you. So evidence-based, tell, tell, tell me more. We've discussed two types of evidence that are going to be required. Unfortunately, it's the energy assessor's job to submit the evidence, and so we can't lodge an energy performance certificate until we've got the energy, all the evidence. And the evidence is? The evidence is the thermal bridging, constructive details yes. being followed, the insulation um, on every wall, floor, ceiling, etc. Um, the photographic evidence of the heating systems and hot water systems. So if you've got an electric shower separate, we need that as well. Okay. We need, and the reason they need it photographed is because it needs to have the make a model on there so yes. we know that there's no lies happening. Right, okay. Unscrupulous builders say they've put this in and haven't. So we're avoiding that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how many was that? That was three um, for renewable energy. So yes. an MCS certificate is required and we need proof that it's on the building. Yes. Because, again, there have been um, holes I think in the past. within the self-build, because it's people building for themselves, you tend to find anything it's going to be better rather than less and, and certainly nobody's going to be taking a photograph and it's not on the house i don't think um but you know it's, yeah but but the evidence would all be there and the great thing is that builds up um a working manual for the house doesn't it really certainly coming to a professional outfit like you it's going to be easy to get all of this okay i agree we'd like to think so <laughs> good and you also mentioned the building logbook so that's a new requirement every yes property has to have a building logbook so um yeah the building logbooks they can be tm50 uh, 31 or they can be something else if you've got a proprietor warranty company doing them anything like that yes so there are more than one ways to get there okay so we need to think about that so i think we're about there are we about there um so yeah we've talked about the 31 percent uplift and in 2025 it's going to go up to another Total 75 to 80% uplift compared to 2012. We've got, we have no idea at the moment what that will be, or do we have a... a, a, a We've got a an inkling. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be the same again, so all the U-values are going to have to be improved. Would the air tightness come down again, do you think? or, or, think, or what? Well, it's come down as the, the air tightness that it's comparing it to yes. used to be 10. Yes. Now it's comparing it to an 8. Right, which is not great. They said they were going to... Bring it down to a five. Yes. I believe that they're waiting to 2025, so it's a stepped approach. Okay. What about heat recovery and ventilation? Do you think they may insist that becomes mandatory into all houses? Or? I certainly hope so. I doubt it. Um, certainly the energy efficiencies of these units are going to have to be improved. And yes. within Part L, Volume 1 and 2, the Building Services Compliance Guides have now been um, put together. Okay. into that one document so all that information is on there what the mvhr efficiencies need to be but don't worry the manufacturers have already looked at this and are making sure that what comes out of the factory is already compliant i think so in my earlier questions i think i asked three questions was it, it was um it, are the new regulations going to affect the 
look and design of my house? Yes. Yes, but probably not greatly on what we build, I wouldn't think. Air source heat pumps can look quite cumbersome. Yeah, they, they, they can normally be put somewhere out of the, out of the way, can't with, they? With clever design, yes, it could be a no. Then my next question was, is it going to be more difficult to build the house? And I would think on what we're doing, mostly what we're doing already is we're doing what is coming in. So that's not a problem really for us or for our customers. So our customer houses are not really going to become much more difficult to build. And then my third question, I think, was starting off, is it going to be more costly? There are going to be some extra costs, I think, but I think those costs will be outweighed by the running cost of the house going forwards. So it'll be an initial little bit of extra cost, but long-term saving. I agree. And, you know, an air source heat pump might cost you £8,000 to install compared to a boiler, which is going to cost you £1,500. So that extra difference in cost has to be recuperated through your energy bills. Yes. And there's clear and decisive evidence throughout all of these energy calculations and the science community in general that there is a payback and there is a real reason for you to use these technologies. So... With energy prices rising and inflation, um, if you have an off-grid house, I did a calculation back in 2012, just for personal research, and I worked out that having an off-grid house, which doesn't have to have any um, gas or electricity from the grid, um, the savings with compound interest work out that you can buy another house in about 25 years' time just from the savings of that Right. So why would you not want yeah. to do that? No. Pay the extra now. It pays itself off in 25, 30 years or, you know, I'd suggest not taking what I've said as, as gospel, but as an example, it gives yes. you the idea and the concept. Absolutely. Well, Carlos, that has been very, very interesting. I think we've um, covered all aspects, hopefully in enough detail for our, our, our viewers to understand and I would say that if anybody has any comments please come back to us we'll do our best I will forward them on to Carlos um, Cook Brown Energy are there to assist anybody um, with their with the design of their home we work with Cook Brown all, all the time and I think it's a good relationship and it's helping to build better homes for the future and let's try and future proof our houses for 2050 and beyond there we are, Oak Rides Podcast in the Frame, episode 15. Everything we need to know about part L, part O of the new building regulations. I would like to say, you know, please, I hope you've liked the, what you've seen. Press like, subscribe to us on all uh, social media platforms, and we will try and do our very best to keep bringing interesting information to you regarding self-build.